Alright y'all Keys stay So be open minded That's why I just say You might not like it But it's real so Hey what's up everybody Welcome back The Whistling in the Dark podcast Sunday July 1st 2018 This is Patrick Bradley And I'm recording down here in Atlanta, Georgia Um so this is probably going to be another pretty fast episode, um, just kind of sticking to the news again, um, sort of, you know, no more, probably no real deep dives in the topics today. I'm actually on a bit of a time constraint again. <clears throat> so uh, I wanted to start with um, uh, a sports story. I thought I could kind of tie in a little economics or whatever into it. So um, LeBron James just announced that he's signing a contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. It is a four-year contract worth $154 million. Um, I don't exactly know what that comes out to be, but I think it's something on the order of like $35, $36 million a year. So, um, you know, well, I, you know, uh, I'll I'll try to give a little bit of background because I have no idea what level of, uh, interest you have in basketball, um, or sports in general. You know, my assumption is this audience has, uh, tends to have very little, um, but it is interesting. I mean, one of the things you, you know, I, I think like one of the common things you hear, you know, you hear this, these numbers, uh, you know, $35 million a year, a hundred and fifty some million dollar contract. And, you know, people are, a lot of people, um, are just like, oh, you know, nobody should ever get paid that much money for bouncing a ball or whatever, you know, like this super, um, reductive sort of, uh, way of looking at it, you know, um, but I mean, it's just, it's entertainment, right? I mean, it doesn't like, it would be, you know, you could reduce anything down to sound absurd. You know, is a singer getting paid millions of dollars to just blow air out of their mouth? You know, I mean, I think that there's, you know, you can always sort of twist something to sound silly if, you know, if you want, and if you don't want to really be like, have an honest discussion about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's entertainment and I mean, you know, maybe they don't like that form of entertainment, but you know, I mean, most people like some form of entertainment and I, I think people, you know, again, right. It's just like the economics. If you're not willing to kind of, re- if your economic system is not going to re- uh, reward, you know, artists and entertainers for what they do, then like you're not going to have good artists and entertainers, you know, and um, people apparently really dig basketball and NBA basketball. and They really like watching these guys dribble this ball around. Um, but uh, so that's like one, you know, one side of it that I've been thinking about, you know, that it does kind of you know, irk me or whatever. And it, it, it kind of feels like the same, you know, idea of like, oh, these CEOs shouldn't make this money and whatever, you know what I mean? It's like the, it's, it's sort of like some very, um, un, 
you know, not very thoughtful sort of side of the kind of like welfare, you know, maybe not like full on socialism, but, you know, there should be a cap to like how much money any single individual person should be able to get. Um, you know, obviously as a libertarian, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, buy that, um, at all. Um, but you know, the other side of it is, you know, I mean, LeBron James is, is going to make, you know, and I mean, this is as, as high as a contract can get, I think. I mean, it changes, but I mean, it's, it's roughly up there. Um, you know, I mean, what about like the owners, you know what I mean? I mean, these guys are like billionaires. Um, I mean, possibly, I don't, you know, I don't know what, I mean, I don't, I don't know how accurate this is going to be, but let me Google LeBron James net worth. And, and trust me, he's making a ton of money, uh, from outside. Just some of his money is from inside, but, uh, whatever the street.com is, uh, they estimate LeBron's James, LeBron James's net worth at 440 million. And I mean, he's like at, at the pinnacle, you know, there, um, at least in the U S I, I know I'm not aware of exactly like salary structures and stuff or what happens in Europe with, uh, soccer or whatever. But, you know, in the U S I mean, they're, I mean, they're, I don't know, some baseball player salaries get like pretty outrageous. Uh, but I mean, he's, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player ever to live and, you know, salaries just keep, keep on increasing. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he is, has made more money than anybody ever playing basketball. Um, maybe you adjust like Jordan, Michael Jordan's career earnings or whatever, you know, for inflation and it, and it kind of can get up there. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, he's the absolute top person, you know, um, and he's making 440 million. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan and their, their owners are like hedge fund guys. I mean, they're billionaires, billions of dollars, you know, I mean, how much are these guys going to make over the next like four years off of this? I mean, just look at, you know, the net worth of the franchise, you know, how much is it going, you know, going up like year over year, uh, I'm sure they're making, you know, and that's just the net worth. That's not like the profit. I mean, this is, these are profitable businesses too, you know? So, I mean, these guys are making a shit ton of money. I don't believe that like almost all of the money that the NBA makes goes to these salaries. So, you know, again, it's just like that knee jerk, just, you know, just absolute, just surface analysis, just like, oh, these guys shouldn't make that much money. It's like, okay, so let's go cut their salaries. And and somehow if these really great athletes still come and play for way less money and the NBA, I mean, just in this sort of like scenario, imagine if everything stayed the same, but for whatever reason, you know, the players just didn't, you know, they made 10% of the salary or whatever. Uh, I mean, that would just mean that the owners would make even more money, you know? And I mean, if you don't want the owners to make that much money, I mean, then it's, it's like, well, I, you know, I don't know, like, what are they, do you want them to just to automatically send everything to charity or, you know what I mean? These freaks probably would want us to like, just give it to the government, right? Uh, have some more government funded, 
you know, programs. Um, I guess you could cut ticket prices, right? Like pass a law that like no sporting event can charge more than $10 per ticket. You know, I mean, it's like, do you think like, I, I mean, like you can imagine the effect, right? If, if like, LeBron James could only make, you know, $40,000 a year playing basketball. Like he's probably not going to play basketball. I mean, the amount of like work, like, like, you know, that, that like entertainment product that is presented to the, the viewer, whether it's NBA or NFL or whatever. I mean, it is, it, it, it's like the result of, you know, so many people's work over like their entire lifetime, you know what I mean? Like they're playing, you know, he's playing basketball when he's a little kid and starting to like hone his skills and just develop and develop and develop. And you're just not going to get that if, if the payout is $40,000 a year, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's just almost like, like the league just doesn't exist. Like the, the only way it's like, you know, going to really exist in, in this elite form is if you let the kind of free market go and you let people like express their desires and their, you know, how much they like the product through buying expensive tickets and merchandise, you know? Um, but I mean, people, again, you know, I mean, people don't have to do it. Like they just, you know, it's like, if you don't think they should make that much money, that's fine. But why do you care if like other people have like given them money, you know, through buying tickets and merchandise and stuff? And clearly, you know, where we're going to draw the line as libertarian is any sort of like deal where the government is taking tax money and building stadiums or something like that. Um, you know, ob obviously like, you know, no libertarian is, is for that. And that, you know, that's insane. Um, but outside of that, it's, I mean, just like, you know, mind your own business then it's like, if you're not buying these tickets, like, what do you care? You know, if you're not buying these tickets and you're not somebody that's like having your tax money taken to like fund a stadium, like who, you know, like whatever, man, like let people just like live their life. Who cares? You know, um, one other thing is kind of interesting, and this is going a little bit more sort of specifically into the NBA. Um, you know, the, the NBA sort of suffered from this, this problem in recent years that, 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 Players are are choosing to through free agency, so they sort of leave the team they're drafted at, and they go on. They they sort of all kind of like a band together. Like the superstars will form these like super teams, um, and then like win the championship or whatever. And it's it sort of like reducing you know the competition, and. Um, it, it's it's sort of interesting. I mean, and people talk about, oh, we're not sure how to do it. So the NBA is also a little unique that um, compared to other sports like football, you know, in any any given play, there's 22 players on the field. So, you know, in a, in a sort of simplistic view, you know, one player is just not going to make that much of a difference. And like you have offensive and defensive players. So one player isn't he's not even going to be playing even half of the game. Um you know, whereas in the NBA, 
at any time, you know, you have 10 people on the court and one player is playing near, like when you have a superstar like a LeBron James, these guys playing nearly the entire game. So, you know, just having him on your team in a bunch of just other average players, you're going to be a very good team just from that. So then you put LeBron James and then a couple other, you know, top 10 or 15 players. I mean, it's almost impossible for any sort of more traditionally built team to compete. And so, you know, people, oh, this is like a flaw. Like, how do you get around it? And, it, and I think, you know, one of the things is there is a salary cap on player salaries. So, you know, it's actually, to me, it's almost like it's it, not only should LeBron James be paid that much money, he's actually artificially receiving a lower salary than he would. He he should be like nobody can pay him more than what he's offered there there's outside of some little bit of of rules around that depending on, like the team you're on is allowed to offer a little bit more money than other teams and whatever but for the most part there's a maximum salary that an nba player is allowed to be played or paid so because of that then you know there's no difference like one team can't really express more desire to have you on your team than another team once you've hit that maximum salary. And there's a lot of players that are up in that maximum salary area, you know, like I'm not sure how many, but you know, there's probably at least like 10 players that are going to be up, you know, somewhere around there when their contracts are up, uh, maybe, maybe even more. So because that's capped now teams can actually afford to have three of these guys on one team. And so it, uh, it, it opened up the door for this. And I don't think they realized it at first. It was just like, it took somebody, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, it's a, but somebody sort of realized, I mean, the first team I remember doing it was the Boston Celtics uh, with Kevin Garnett and uh, Ray Allen and they joined Paul Pierce. And, um, but they could do it, you know, because it works out like that. Whereas like, so they're paying, you know, LeBron James, 35 million. If the Chicago Bulls were free to offer anything, maybe they offer him a hundred million dollars. Like, you know, and, and then like the other player that was going to be on the team, uh, you know, like some other great player, whatever, uh, you know, back in the day, it was Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris, ba Chris, Chris, Bosch. So, you know, it never happens because like maybe Cleveland, who is his original team, offers him $80 million. And then Chris Bosch is offered 50 million by some other team. I mean, they just like, they would never, you know, they would have to sacrifice. So like in this era, they'll sack players will sacrifice some salary to join like a super team, like the golden state warriors right now, the ones that's winning the championships, you know, they got Kevin Durant on top of it. And Kevin Durant is probably the second best player behind LeBron James. So if salaries were allowed to float and weren't capped, Kevin uh, Durant would probably be an $80 million player or something, you know, I mean, cause they are that valuable. Like it's that important. They're more important than like Every, you know, the next five players on the team combined, 
maybe more than that. Like there's so many other other players that are like replaceable. And in that way, you would have these like great players all spread out. And there would just be like a lot more sort of natural competition. Um, that was really the main reason I wanted to talk about uh, the the whole NBA thing. I mean, I did the the like bringing in a little bit of that, like, oh, nobody should make that much money. You know, that's kind of annoying too. Um, but the uh, just that like idea, seeing that, oh yeah, you know, if you if you do sort of cap this salary the way that they have, then, you know, you sort of wind up with this distorted market. And uh, now there's another piece to it too, that there is an overall salary cap as well. But I mean, I feel like that sort of creeps into another discussion. So now they would argue that that increases competition. So every team has an overall salary cap, you know. Um, and I think what it does is it, you know, maybe there's more parity, you know, if every team is allowed to spend $200 million, then, you know, like, uh, a, a team in New York or something that maybe has more ad revenue or LA or something bigger markets, it sort of limits what they can, they can pay, um, you know, players that same thing that Oklahoma city can pay, uh, you know, so in that way, it's like, uh, okay, um, I mean, right, it's within a single league, right? It's a single business. I mean, you can set up whatever rules you want. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, you know, it's it's uh, it's sort of like a contract type contract, you know, contractual agreement. I'm not saying there's any sort of like violation of the non-aggression principle happening here. I'm just sort of, you know, sort of floating out there the like, or, or sort of exploring like what if there was no, you know, salary caps. And, you know, and I think that, you know, what it does is like, it allows like teams in markets where there aren't as many fans, fans don't really care as much, they're not spending their money, that they will wind up, they can, you know, like Oklahoma City right now has great players. They have uh, two really top flight guys. So they're, they're like almost... Uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're not like a super team, but right now, like there's this sort of concentration of like multi superstar teams, um, that may sort of fall just below like the super team moniker, but you know, they're one of those teams and they're in Oklahoma city, you know? So they have like way less fans than other teams. So you, you have these really great players just sort of languishing down in this market that's like, I'm sure they love, you know, I'm not saying there are people really happen, happy with it or whatever, but, you know, that's kind of like what happens with parody is, you know, you sort of wind up with situations like that. So, you know, uh, I, I'm not necessarily saying that it would make like, uh, I, I mean, I think it would just make this, the, it would allow the teams and markets where the fans are more interested to actually have the better players and be able to see more interesting, you know, it, it would probably wind up being better, you know, financially for the game itself because it would reward fans for being into it, you know, and spending their money because it would allow their teams to spend more money, you know, but when you do it sort of like all the money goes into the same pot and everybody's allowed to spend the exact same amount, you know, then you, you know, you wind up with like a powerhouse in a city that like barely gives a shit that there's basketball there. 
So anyway, uh, that was a maybe a little more than I expected to talk about it, um, about this LeBron James thing. But I do, uh, I am a pretty big sports fan. Um, so, you know, I like when I have a chance where it seems to kind of connect kind of naturally into the economics idea. And ho- hopefully I, I sort of spelled it out enough that it wasn't like totally confusing or like mind numbing to to those of you that don't really follow uh, basketball or sports. Um, anyway, let's look at, uh, that was a Huffington Post article. Uh, and then, you know, so now I just thought I would go through uh, some of the headlines and so we have um, some top headlines about the World Cup, some more sports. I'll, I'll skip that. Uh, they have uh, separated parents are failing asylum screenings. They're so heartbroken. Um, so, again, definitely still continuing, you know, the uh, this kind of propaganda where they are, you know, bringing up something that's been going on, you know, a long time under Obama and, you know, demonizing Trump. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I mean, I can say, I can verify through my own ex- anecdotal experience with friends and, you know, liberal friends, that you know, they definitely do not get that. They think that, you know, essentially like nobody was deported and no families were separated under Obama and, and Trump just started like a whole new policy, you know, even though something like 70,000 a year (laughs) under, under Obama. And we still, right. I still haven't seen number. I mean, I mean, if, if it was 70,000 under Obama and then at the end of 2018, it was like a million people deported or family separated or whatever under Trump. I would be like, okay, you know, I mean, they 70,000 seemed like a lot, but you know, okay, like Trump is definitely like exceeded that by a couple orders of magnitude, you know. Um, but if it, I, I don't know, I mean, that is certainly not obvious at this point. And, you know, as far as I can tell, I haven't, nobody's put any numbers, you know. So, uh, what else? Uh, Trump has lied and twisted facts to justify his harsh immigration policies. And and remember, I'm going to bring that up. Media, what the fuck was that called? Media chart. Uh, Media chart. Um... Yeah, just uh, just to remember where where you know I uh, again, man. Like I feel like most of the people I know are looking at this media chart and they're going to be like, "Yeah, this is pretty much the way it is." They're not going to look into it. So at least um, they do have the Huffington Post uh, somewhere in between hyper partisan liberal and skews liberal. So at least that, that does seem pretty, uh, uh, in line. Um, they're definitely, I mean, I don't see how the, again, like I don't see how this skews liberal. I mean, I, you know, I haven't gone, I haven't like looked at them as much as, uh, you know, CNN, but 
Every time I looked, it's 100% anti-Trump. What else they have here? They have a right-wing Portland rally declared a riot amid clashes with Antifa protesters. I don't know. I don't know that I really want to get into that. That's just such a bummer. Um, just like, I mean, again, like you really, okay. So there's no doubt that our government, at least through the CIA in foreign countries has certainly, uh, fomented riots and things like this for reasons of, you know, political unrest, uh, you know, turning people against one idea or one person or another. Um, the most clear that I remember, I believe it was, it was Dulles, uh, in Iran. And one of the people that really like, this is where they learned a lot of this stuff. And there was, uh, you know, so the Iran had elected leader and they, uh, you know, the U.S. and Britain really didn't want them in um, because they were basically taking control of their own oil reserves again. So that, I mean, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, that's really what it's about. Like, they don't give a shit. I mean, the Saudi regime is, is you know, god-awful, but I guess they just, I mean, it's god-awful as far as human rights stuff, women's rights, you know. I think they just let they pass some law and everybody's super stoked that women can drive cars. I mean, that's fucking crazy. Even North Korea. I mean, if they had cars, I mean, most people probably don't, but if they did, women sure as hell would be allowed to drive them, you know? So Saudi Arabia is like a step down from that significantly down. Like their women have to stay covered and, you know, uh, get the shit beat out of them if they don't. And, you know, and again, you know, for me, like, if you want to follow, a, you know, religious observance where, you know, as a female, you keep yourself, like, completely covered and, and you're into that, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not like, this is not quite like the same thought police idea of, of that I would normally use it. Normally, thought police, I think of it in, like, a minority report way of, like, predicting future crimes. Like, oh, if you, you know listen to this music you're going to be like you're probably going to commit a crime or something um but in this in this sense it's like it's just like cultural police of like well if if you keep if you have a a culture where it is you know or a religion where you know you're supposed to stay have your head covered then it like leads to all this like patriarchy dominance and oppression of women and i mean i you know, I, I'm not saying that there are not lines to connect there at all. Um, I'm just saying that, like, as long as, like, a woman is allowed to be in or out of that religion in a society and not face violence, like, not be aggressed against because she's wearing a tank top, then I'm fine with it. Like, I'm not, like, I don't see that the problem is the religion. I see that the problem is that the law is not, like, you know, protecting the, you know, its people against, you know, 
vi- uh, aggressions from the outside. You know, it's like, again, you just hold it up to the non-aggression principle, you know, for the most part, like that's just going to help you figure it out. And if a woman like voluntarily wants to follow a religion and be a part of it and like dress the way that that religion says in their old books, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. And if she doesn't want to do it and she wants to wear a tank top and nobody's beating the shit out of her, nobody's threatening her, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. If she's wearing a tank top and then she's getting threatened and her life is, you know, she she's afraid or whatever, that's a violation of the non-aggression principle. And, you know, that happens in Saudi Arabia. You know, that's the problem. And to me, it's not, the problem isn't just like the Muslim religion. It's that if you're not following the Muslim, you know, religion, then you get, you know, beat up or threatened or whatever. You know, that that's the problem. But it's not the religion itself, you know. It's anybody that's threatening violence or doing violence to somebody else. Um, somebody else that, you know, wasn't, you know, aggressing against them. So, uh, that was a big old tangent on the, uh, why I didn't want to talk about (laughs) the, um, uh, Portland, uh, rally violence. And, you know, it was basically just, uh, I, I I was sort of going way off on this idea of what was going on in the Middle East and and you know a- anyway the main the main point was you know it's about oil and it's about this sort of geopolitical power and stuff and it's not about you know the United States backing these morally good regimes versus the morally bad regimes but that is how it's always presented right it's always presented that Iran is like part of this axis of evil and Saudi Arabia is one of our allies but Saudi Arabia is killing the shit out of people in Yemen and starving them to death with our help while Iran is not doing anything like that um and what's the main reason i mean what's the real reason i don't know that i've really mentioned this but like you know it's it's still this sort of like sunni shia stuff and and like the houthis who are the people that the saudis are attacking in yemen they're like backed by iran or whatever i mean and they're you know they're shia and and the sunnis are like Saudi. And you know who else is Al-Qaeda and fucking ISIS? You know, they're the Sunnis. So, like, we're on their side now when we're backing, you know, this war in Yemen against the Houthis. Um, Anyway, so it goes all the way back to this Iran thing, you know, where we didn't like their leader uh, because they he wanted he was like helping or, you know, pushing and getting control back of like Iran's own oil reserves from these British companies. Um, and these British companies kept going to, I don't know. I don't know if it was the UN back then. It was like the league of nations or something, but basically like trying to get them to like, say like, Hey, they're stealing the, you know, we have like the contractual, like, you know, ownership of this or whatever, but it was like from some other like fucked up crooked ruler that probably didn't have the right to give them the oil in the first place. And, um, so anyway, eventually they resorted to like, Hey, you know, we got to fucking kill these guys. Uh, we've got to overthrow this government, you know? Um, and, and 
the U.S. like obliged and started to come in 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 uh, Dulles. Uh, you know, was like the head guy there. And, you know, I think he sort of like tried and tactics and learned a lot. And, you know, one of the big things was like, <clears throat> he's, he, uh, paid like a bunch of protesters that were like anti, uh, the leader or whatever. And, um, and I forget too, there was somehow like communism was in it, but I, you know, I don't think this dude, I don't, I, and I forget the guy's name, but he wasn't like a communist <laughs> leader anyway but so they made like a big they paid like a bunch of people to like gut out and protest to like make it seem like it was like this big like anti you know this this uh elected president like you know like it really wasn't you know um like just make make a big show of it um and there was also a lot of stuff they paid a lot of like people in papers like write stories and you know all this propaganda but then the thing that was like really is is crazy is he also then behind their back paid another group of counter protesters to violently clash with them and this was in the 50s so the idea that like they could not do this stuff today or like everything that we see today is like organic and like, oh, yeah, like this right wing rally was definitely by like people who were actually right wingers and Antifa that clashed with them were definitely, you know, real Antifa people that like go to sleep at night reading like the Communist Manifesto or whatever. Like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, unless I... I mean, like we, our, our government has proven in the past to use this kind of stuff to their benefit or to like literally do it themselves, both sides. So maybe, I mean, I remember thinking that back with the Charlottesville stuff. Like it just seemed like kind of crazy, man. Like I really, you know... I mean, number one, I mean, it feels like, you know, there's just this massive spotlight on any kind of like white supremacist group all of a sudden, you know, so let's say there's there's a hundred of them, but they're getting a thousand times the coverage of like any other sort of grassroots group. Well, it's going to, you know, make them seem a thousand times larger and a thousand times like more threatening because they're getting covered all the time. So I really, really worry about that with this stuff in, you know, to read like, you know, there's no way you're going to tell from a Huffington Post article if this is like true or not. And I mean, and I, I believe that absolutely believe that this, this it, publication has a fucking agenda and is definitely like anti-Trump, um, certainly left wing. And, you know, like I said before, I mean, I think it's more like the, the old, like professional wrestling, like WWF days where, you know, it's just like the left versus the right. It's just fucking all made up shit. And it's, it's, it, it's just to like, kind of allow like these politicians to like sort of like retain their power and and keep and keep passing more and more regulations they fucking squeeze the money out of the poor and the middle class um so yeah i so i read a lot into that little headline there a little little iran history but you know it also it connects it to like okay so you know when I say like we've been doing this shit for fucking 50 years or 60 years, I and I don't know what was going on before that. I mean, um, 
But I know for sure, you know, back then in the fifties and it, and it ended up with like a, uh, we, uh, I think we actually, actually assassinated their leader, like like a democratically elected guy, a democratically elected president. And after all these attempts to like, you know, make out fake propaganda and fake riots and all this shit, they eventually fucking killed him. And then they brought in some like exiled guy that was like very friendly to the U S and they brought him in. And, and, and I don't know a lot about what, what has like happened since then. I don't know how they got from that to, to, you know, where we are right now. Um, but they definitely have never stopped, uh, fucking with Iran and, and then, you know, branched out to all these other, uh, you know, all these other, um, countries and, you know, and it's just super, it's super jacked up. Uh, so I'm actually already out of town, out of time, but I thought that since I was sort of focusing on this Iran, Middle East stuff at the end, I would just hit up the anti-war headlines. Um, so, we have a U.S. ends a 70-year military presence in the South Korea capital, and that's Seoul. Um, so the U.S. Has, has moved their military presence further south. I mean, they, they're actually not totally out or anything, but for 70 years they've had troops, you know, so that's more on, you know, the side of the uh, – that this, see, this, this agreement is good. Um, the uh, – Iraq Prime Minister orders immediate execution of hundreds of people. Uh, Trump moles pulling some troops from Germany. Another thing, again, man, it's like when when you stop reading like CNN and stuff, like I, I realize he's a mixed bag, but like you do see little things of like him kind of deflating this like insane military like bubble a little bit. Um Iraq, Turkish shelling kills Kurdish teenager and 24 were killed in Iraq. I mean, like, think about that, man. We don't hear anything about this shit in fucking every single day that I do a podcast and I look in Iraq, this little section, one of the headlines is like always 25 killed, you know, or whatever in Iraq. I mean, that shit is fucking going on right now. Um... Another crazy headline is UN over 18 million to die. Oh. oh, this is a link to a Breitbart article. UN over 18 million to die of starvation in Yemen in 2018, according to the United Nations. The United Nations warned Thursday that an estimated 18.4 million are expected to perish of war-driven starvation in Yemen by the end of the year, a development that will exacerbate what some say is the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. So that's what I'm going to leave you guys with. I feel like that has been my continuous message since I began this podcast and nothing's changed. It's only gotten worse. And according to the UN, their estimates... And, you know, believe them or not, is that 18 million people in Yemen are going to starve to death this year. And a lot of them, a lot of them are kids, little kids, you know. So uh, do the world a favor, man, and talk about it. Because I, I think right now, if there was one thing that you could do, 
right? It seems so fucking hopeless is talk about Yemen. Just mention it. It's not this hot button topic that makes people fucking spaz out and hate you. People genuinely don't know about it. And you just sort of mention it. And you know what? If they're an Obama supporter, spin it as a Trump thing. Who gives a fuck, right? Like, let's just don't even talk. And it, and it maybe if later you want to dig deeper and say, hey, you know, fucking Obama really is the one that started this. And Trump has just been kind of following his lead a little bit here. Go for it. But this is like everybody should be united on this. This is this is not a divisive topic. You know, starving to death, fucking 18 million people is just, it should not be divisive. So maybe that's all, all of our homework um, is to, is to, uh, until the next time I do my podcast to talk about Yemen. And, you know, I mean, it's just this silence that is, you know, going to kill a lot of people. So that's all I got, and uh, I'm going to wrap it up here, and uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.